I love you. Good to see you all tonight. So, last week was a record. Longest sermon I ever preached. Tonight's a record. Shortest sermon I ever preached. At least in the notes. I don't know that that's going to be the case in actual time. We'll see how it all goes. Um, <clears throat> so we're going through First Peter. And uh, we'll be through the book at the end of April. And uh, I think so... First uh, Peter chapter f- uh, 2, verse 4 through 10. You like that title? Don't be a wimp. Yeah. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." So in your notes, number one, Peter is writing this letter to believers in Jesus who have become wimps because of persecution. So, you know, if we were going through what they were going through, we probably would all be wimps too. Uh, There were many that were thrown uh, into an arena with wild animals and uh, people, hundreds, thousands of people would watch as they were... uh, eaten by wild animals. That was sort of the entertainment of the day. And um, various forms of torture for Christians, and they could always get out of it by recanting, by verbally denying that they were followers of Jesus. That's all it took. But if they didn't, then they were burned at the stake, they were tortured. If you want to read about the details of what they went through, Fox's Book of Martyrs is a good book. You don't want to read it before you go to sleep at night. And so the believers were uh, experiencing a great deal of persecution. Even if they weren't tortured or didn't lose their life, they lost their jobs, they lost their income, uh, they lost their money, often they lost their family. There was a lot uh, going against them as believers. And so many of them were bailing uh, and hiding. And so Peter's writing to them. The whole book is devoted to uh, don't let... The persecution keep you from living the way God wants you to live. So I'll read a few uh, verses out of the whole book of First Peter just to give you this uh, emphasis. First Peter 1, 6-7, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. He kind of makes it like, uh, no big deal. Uh, for a little while, you know, if possibly, like little bitty trials. Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, 
even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, you may go through it here bad, but when Jesus comes, when you stand before him, he's going to give you great glory. For, uh, chapter 2, verse 19, for this finds favor. This is favor with God. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you've been called for this purpose. You've been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Chapter 3, verse 14, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in in this name. Chapter 5, verse 9 through 10, resist him, the devil. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. These trials will make you like Jesus, basically Peter says over and over and over again. And so when you go through trials, don't fuss, don't whine, rejoice. Give God the glory because you're experiencing uh, his will for your life. Number two, Peter attempts to encourage them and motivate them by reminding them who they are as followers of Jesus. And so he quotes a number of Old Testament verses as a sort of a statement. This is who you are. This is who you are. Act like it. Live like it. Uh, You're not wimps. Uh, You're mighty, mighty warriors for Jesus. And he, and he uh, is basically in this passage attempting to encourage them, motivate them, stir them up to live like strong people because that's what the Word of God says they are. Uh, we're going to heaven. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're priests for the Most High God. Uh, and he says, you are living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are the people of God. You are the family of God. You belong to him. So when the devil talks to us, he does, and we hear him in our thoughts, he says, you're stupid. You're a wimp. You can't do anything. You're not worth anything. And on the list goes. And so Peter is telling them, who they are in Christ and how strong they are in Christ. Number three, Peter says to them, you are the people of God, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. My mom, when we were growing up, she would say, you're a duke. Act like it. 
You're Duke. You can do anything. Those grades? You're a Duke. I grew up with that. And so, us boys grew up with that. Somebody, when they, before they knew Cliff and Matt, my brothers, and uh, back in the early days of the church, and they came, and there was an individual, a lady in the church, and we started talking, and she listened to us talk for a minute, and she says, I can't believe it. You're all like that. I said, like what? Well, like you can walk on water. I said, really? Huh. I never did know that. It's my mother's fault. You're a duke. Act like it. And so we heard that all the time growing up. And uh, it was just, this is who you are. Live like it. Act like it. And she convinced us that if you were a duke, you were a special person. You were a special class. You could do just about anything, so make sure that's what you do. And so Peter's doing that. Um, He's saying, you're God's children. You're in his family. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He said, you're going to heaven. You belong to God. You're his children. Number four, he reminds them of the power that they have through the Holy Spirit by calling them a spiritual house. The question that is a good one to ask is, does the Holy Spirit make any difference in your life? I'm not talking about theology now. I'm talking about reality for you personally. When you live your life and you go through trials and you have difficult situations, does the Holy Spirit who is living in you make any difference? Do you live different, act different, think different? Behave different because of the power of God living inside of you. It's not an automatic deal. Just because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's going to work or empower us. There's a, a, a faith factor that becomes a big deal if the Spirit of God is really going to work in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, Do you not know? You know what that means? You're not acting like it. You're not acting like it. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So that's a good question. Don't you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you? I... uh, writing about this, remembered a movie I'd seen years ago. I mean, because I hunt with a bow, you know, when the movie uh, Robin Hood and the, his thieves with Costner came out, I was kind of uh, enamored with the movie. There's a scene in there that popped into my head uh, when I read that verse. I thought, well, I'll just let you see it. Thought he was drowning. But there was only two feet of water. Just put your feet down. 
So, sometimes we think we're drowning. We're going through more than we can handle. Life is so hard. And all we have to do is just experience the power of God in us, the spirit in us. But it's a faith issue. All of a sudden you realize, huh, only two feet of water. I'm fine. But until then, he's drowning. There's records of people drowning in one foot of water because they didn't know they were in one foot of water. They were splashing around and got so panicky, they drowned, they died. And so, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says that. He says, don't you know? And so, the question is, does it make any difference uh, in living our life? John chapter 2, verse 16 And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. This is Jesus uh, in the temple. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now that was a house made of stones, a temple. The Jews then said to him, this is when he was arrested and he was on trial, what sign do you show us as your authority for, those, uh, for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. You will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body, of his body. And then Romans 8, 9, however, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You know what that's saying? That when you became a Christian, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at that moment in, in time, you became the temple of the Holy Spirit. But often we don't know it. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Old Testament theology, I've got to find a... I lost the paper. Hang on just a sec. It's in here somewhere. There we go. When the church began, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. From that point on, every person who trusts Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Before that time, Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and empowered people for a task, for a moment, for an event, but then left only there for that event. So Pastor Mike's been going through the book of Judges. I thought I might read to you. You've already seen this. Judges 14, 5. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him in, as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. The Holy Spirit came upon him for an event, and he took the lion with his bare hands and tore him apart. Uh, moving on to verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire. His bonds dropped from his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he reached out, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. <clears throat> so, 
One of the misconceptions about Samson is that what he did, he was able to do because he worked out in the gym a lot. Uh, now, we know it wasn't any gym around, but we see pictures, and there's a dude with rippling muscles more than Arnie Schwarzenegger. Uh, we think, well, that's why he was able to do what he was able to do. No, no, he was able to do what he was able to do because the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he had the power of God in his life. But Old Testament, it was just there for the event and gone. For, for us, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us all the time, 24-7 the power of God, but it's not automatic. Most people, most Christians, uh, don't experience God's power working in them because it just doesn't enter their head. Oh, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I have an infinite power in me. That's why Paul said, don't you know? Don't you get it? Don't you understand this principle? <clears throat> John 14 17, that is the spirit of truth. 14, 17, there we go. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So you know what Peter's saying? How in the world can you be a wimp when you've got the Holy Spirit living in you? Number five, Peter calls the believers royal and holy priests, reminding them that they have and have direct access to God. So we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we also have the power, the gift of prayer that God gives to us. And so when he says, you're a holy priest, you're royal priest, Old Testament, the, most of these Christians that Peter's writing to are uh, Jews who've converted to Christianity. So they understand Old Testament. They understand the Old Testament priests. They understand the old uh, the stories and the law. And he says, you, you're priest, you're royal priest, you're holy priest. What was he saying to them? You have direct access to God. You don't have to go through anybody. You don't have to do anything. You have direct access to God. And the most often prayed prayer in the Bible is the prayer for strength. And when we pray for strength, it's a prayer that God will answer, especially if we're wanting our goal is to live for him, to glorify him by the way we live our life. John 14, 12, truly, truly, Jesus speaking to his disciples. You ever wonder why he would say, truly, truly? He's kind of getting a hold of their coat and saying, hey, pay attention, listen, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to the Father. What's that mean? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You will do greater works than I've done. John says that if all the works that Jesus did were written in a book, the world couldn't hold them all. And then he says, we'll do more, we'll do bigger, we'll do better because we have the power of prayer. So the problem, we have a couple of them with prayer. One is that we think God gave us prayer so that we could live a pain-free, comfortable life. And so the bulk of our praying is, Lord, would you fix this life? Would you... Uh, Make this better. 
Would you make that go away? And prayer was given to us by God uh, as a tool, as a weapon to do his will, to do his work of reaching the world with the gospel. I don't know if you read my blog. If you don't, you ought to. It's, I love writing it. But I just wrote a blog about going sage rat hunting. And every spring, go sage rat hunting. And uh, we shoot these little miniature prairie dogs. They're like a chipmunk. They're little critters, but they tear up farmers' alfalfa fields. They love us when we go shoot them. And so we set up and shoot at them. We shoot at them with 22s and 17 HMRs. One time a guy came, and he brought uh, like a f Weatherby 416 Magnum. I mean, this got a bullet like that big. But I think the bullet cost $9 a piece. And I said, well, what in the world are you doing with that? I just kind of wanted to see how it sighted in and shoot a couple of those little sage rats with it. I thought, wow, that is the most abusive power I've ever seen. <laughs> I've got power to reach the world, to live for Christ, to glorify Him. And we pray, Lord, would you fix my cold? And would you help me out of my finances? And Lord, would you keep my car running? Uh, James says, we ask and we do not receive because we ask with selfish motives. That is, we ask for us. And so churches, uh, what we do is, I pray for your problems, you pray for my problems. I pray for your kids, you pray for my kids. We forget that prayer was not given to us to live a comfortable life and to have our problems solved. Prayer was given to us to do the work that God gave us to do, that is, to reach the lost, to make disciples. Jesus says, greater works that I've done, you will do. Then he says, whatever you ask in my name, that's what I'll do for you. There's a lot of Christians that don't get very many prayers answered because what they're praying for is we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. Living a tough life ought not to be a problem because we're going to heaven. And so Peter says that, just for a little while. Just for a little while, you're going through some trials. No big deal. Kind of toughen up. Act like a, a believer. Act like somebody that's got the Spirit of God living in them. And understand God gave you power for a purpose, and that purpose isn't so that you can have a comfortable life, but so you can do the work of God, live the life Jesus lived, reaching the lost. Number six, the most important job that Jesus gave to us to do is to be a witness for him to bring people to Jesus. Why did he die on the cross? Why did he go through all that he went through? And he left. And when he left, he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He commissioned us. He declared to us that we are his witnesses. And the Spirit of God was given on the day of Pentecost so that we would have power to do just that. Let me read to you First Peter uh, 2, what we had tonight again. And coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men... But as choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. 
This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. To this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And so again, he says, this is who you are. This is what your job is. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is that we would be his witnesses. You will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So if you are not choosing to be a witness for Jesus, I would submit to you that you don't have any power. There's a key that turns on the engine, the engine, the power in me. That key is choosing to be a witness for Jesus. So, you know, the good news is you can just take a little step. And you'll have power. You take a little bigger step, you'll have even more power. There's always enough to make the next step if you'll take that first step of obedience. And so if you're thinking, ah, all you have to do is just write down names of people you live next door to, people you work with, people related to. Write down names of people that don't know Jesus. Surely you know a couple. Just write their names down and pray for them every day. How hard is that? That's a step. That's a choice of choosing to influence people by praying for them every day. Now, once you start doing that every day, every day, every day, when you see them, you're going to notice them. You just simply have to walk up and say, how you doing? And then do what um, I call raise the flag. That means you just mention, hey, you just say, oh, yeah, there's this guy in my church that does such and such. Or, yeah, I read in the Bible. You just raise the flag. It isn't what you might call uh, preaching. It's just identifying with Jesus by something you say. I went, I had a terrible thing happen today. I put my iPad, got home from the coast pastor's prayer summit for three days, got back, and I was riding with uh, Gary Chambers, and I put my iPad on the back of his pickup, and then I got my stuff, and I forgot, and he drove away, and my iPad went off the pickup, and I think about 10,000 cars drove over it. So I have a little device on my phone that will find it, and I went to it, and there it was. I picked it up, and uh, so I decided I just drove right down to AT&T. And uh, he says, what kind of iPad do you want? And I, we were talking, and I, he says, you have a business? I said, yeah. I said, uh, I, I teach people the Bible. You a pastor? Yeah. Oh, cool. I go to church. Where? And we had a conversation. But it's not a big deal. You just, yeah. I preach the Bible, whatever. You just raise the flag. I connect with church, with the Bible, with God. And all of a sudden, people will notice you when you say that, especially in our day. How hard is that to do? You have to choose to do it, though. 
You choose to pray for people. You choose to have a conversation and listen for an opportunity just to identify with Jesus, mention the Bible, mention your church, anything, so you make a connection. And then the most, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. When you hear someone say something that is a problem in their life, their kids, their marriage, their finance, their health, you say, could I pray for you? I don't know if you saw the event on the football game, NFL game, I forget now the team's playing Bills, and, uh, and a guy got hurt. That will hurt. He passed out. His heart quit beating. And the whole, both teams, all of them, all got down on their knees, and they didn't pull the camera away. That's rare that they don't do that. Then the, the announcers, they all started talking about praying for this guy. I thought, man, we're going to have a revival right here in the middle of a national football game uh, on, on screen. It's just they were talking up prayer big time. And you can say, could I pray for you? Could I pray for your marriage? Could I pray for your health? I've never had anybody say no. Never, ever once. And I've asked that question I don't know how many times. It's easy to do. So you take a little step, a little step, a little step. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. If you don't choose to be a witness, then there's no power. And you're living life just like every lost person is on your, with your own strength. God didn't give us the Holy Spirit to give us a comfortable life. He didn't give us prayer to live a comfortable life. He gave us the Holy Spirit that we would have power to be an influence of people. He gave us prayer so that we can intercede for people uh, that need to know Jesus. And when we do that, then you can change your name to Samson, at least your middle name, because you'll have strength. Second Corinthians 5.18 Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation gave us the ministry of reconciliation namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation he has committed to us the word of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. If we don't choose to do that, live that, then we are going to struggle with life. And it isn't... Uh, you know where the f intimidation comes from? It comes from the devil. He doesn't want us influencing lost people. And so there's this supernatural kind of working where we just are intimidated and we don't say anything. We don't identify. We don't raise the flag. Number seven, the world as a whole has rejected Jesus as Savior and as God, a living stone which has been rejected by men. The world has rejected Jesus more so than any other God. And it's satanic. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. People are supernaturally acted upon by the devil, and they reject Jesus. And it's unreasonable often, but it's very, very real. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
So we ought not to be surprised when people resist the gospel. That's just the way it is because the devil has made it that way. Number eight, as priests of God, we are called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. We're called priests, and therefore, he says, we're to offer up sacrifices. The priests in the Old Testament offered up lambs, bulls, goats, doves. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know how you do that? You say, Jesus, reporting for duty. You purchased me. I belong to you. I don't belong to me. I'm your servant. And so when we present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, we're saying, you are Lord, Master, King of my life. I will obey you. I will do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. You are my master. You purchased me. Philippians 4.18, I've received everything in full, have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That was money, money for the purpose of reaching lost people. We're going to have a special offering here in a couple of weeks for our missions uh, ministry in our church. We're going to have a five-day prayer event starting Monday. We're going to pray 5 to 10, 5 to 10, Monday through Friday, and we're going to be praying for people all over the world that God would work. Hebrews 13, 15, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. All the time rejoicing, never grumbling, never complaining. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. <clears throat> so, I'm a witness by commissioning, by assignment. I belong to Jesus. Every morning I say, Lord Jesus, you are master king of my life. Today I will serve you, I will follow you, I will do whatever you ask, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. And uh, I can do that because you've given me the power to do it. Today I will be a witness. I will lift up my eyes and look on the fields that are white for harvest. I will pay attention to divine appointments that you bring into my life. Uh, and every day I pray for a list of people that are in my life that God would grant me an opportunity to say something, to do something, to invite them uh, to make a difference. It just takes one step. One little step. And power that's in us uh, is released and works. And then it spreads to every area of our life. But we have to recognize that we have been commissioned, we've been assigned, we are ambassadors for Jesus. And we need to live like that. And so Peter says, yeah, it may be tough, but you're going to heaven. You're a spiritual house. You're a holy priest. You're children of God. And uh, you've got an assignment, and you've got the power. And so don't be wimps. Act like children of God, ambassadors for Jesus. Act like Jesus as you're living life and facing trials. And uh, one of the basic principles that uh, a guy that I heard speak several times, I've made mention of him, he was a pastor in Romania, Joseph Son, 
He said, we earn the right from God to be called worthy of the gospel. We earn the right to be called worthy of the gospel. And one of the things that God will always call us to do is to do what Jesus did. He was nailed to a cross to save the world. And he says, we will be called on to go through trials in order to be used by God to save the world. The problem is Jesus went to the cross. We avoid it. And uh, he gives us the strength. He gives us the power. He gives us the joy. He gives us everything. But we have to understand what our life is about and the purpose of it. And it's to reach lost people, make disciples for Jesus. And he'll give us the opportunity to do that if we choose. It's all about choosing. You choose the broad way, the easy way, or the narrow way, the hard way. The hard way results in fruit and accomplishment. And that's what we need to do. All right, the ushers are going to come and pass out some cards. I'm going to pray, and while I am, they're going to pass those out. Fill those out if you would, and put on a prayer request if you have one, and we'll put it in the prayer letter. And, um, but I'd like to know that you're here, so I go through those cards, and I pray for you. And I say, oh, cool, Tracy was here. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that we have the hope of eternal life in heaven. We, we're going to get a new body, live with you for all eternity. For some of us, that's getting uh, much, much closer. But Lord, for all of us, it's not really that long. It's the blink of an eye, a vapor that appears for a minute, then gone. And so I pray that we would live our life with purpose and calling, and we would present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice every day, declaring you to be master of our life. And we are choosing to do your will, to do your work. It's really not that hard, Lord, and we've given us the power to do it well. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.